Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paulisari, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk to Tad Hargrave from Marketing for Hippies. Tad does beautiful work with helping life coaches, healers, holistic practitioners, and other kinds of conscious entrepreneurs find ways of marketing that feel good to them and that actually help them bring in more clients at the same time. He doesn't work specifically with purpose, but I've heard him say things at many occasions that I felt were very closely related to the topics that we're exploring in this podcast, so I thought it might be a good idea to have a conversation with him. And I'm glad I did. There are lots of gems in this episode. One of my favorite parts of this conversation is towards the end where I ask Tad about his future. He's in the process of shifting his attention towards a different kind of work, but it's very unclear what that work will look like. I asked him about how he relates to that sense of being called in a certain direction without really knowing much about where that path will lead. That sense of walking into the unknown or into the darkness. He shared beautifully about how it's been his experience that when he follows the signs and his own intuitions, there is a kind of support that appears. That somehow the information that we need in order to take the next step is always given to us. And that we do not necessarily need to know the steps that come later. We can trust that the next piece of information will be given at the right time. There's much more to this conversation. Among other things, we talk about how your deepest wounds are often a doorway to your truest niche, and about a life-changing close encounter with death that was instrumental in helping Tad move towards a deeper trust in life. Before we dive into the episode, I'd like to take a brief moment to say a few words about a free online workshop that I'll be offering soon. This workshop is for you if you have devoted a significant part of your life to deep spiritual practice, and if you're now in a place where you want to make a difference in the world but you do not know where to start. It is for you if you have a sense that something is calling to you, but you can't grasp exactly what it is. It seems like it could be several different things and it's difficult to choose. The aim of this workshop is to give you a better chance of getting to a place where you feel fully aligned with your calling, a place where you are 100% engaged in contributing towards a better world in a way that feels deeply meaningful to you. It's a 90-minute workshop in the foundations of purpose discovery, and it's completely free. Some of the topics that we'll cover in this workshop are the relationship between soul and purpose, soul encounter techniques, the free wells of purpose to wake up, grow up, and show up, eight facets of purpose, the purpose octagon, and obstacles to purpose discovery and how to overcome them. If this sounds interesting, I encourage you to go to paulisari.com and sign up for the workshop. There are only a limited amount of spots available, so if you want to make sure to get a spot, it may be a good idea to sign up as soon as possible. The workshop is 90 minutes, it takes place on Zoom, and it's completely free. You can find more information and sign up at paulisari.com webinar, or simply go to paulisari.com and find the webinar page in the menu. 
Okay, that's all I wanted to share about the workshop. So let's dive into my conversation with Ted Hargrave. I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, Ted. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so we're going to talk about life purpose, and I really don't know much about your thoughts about that topic. So I would just like to start with a very open-ended question. What comes to your mind and heart when you connect to the topic of life purpose in this moment? Sure. Uh, well, it's interesting because, of course, I do this work around niching and marketing and I think uh, people often get niching confused with life purpose. Mm. Uh, you, you know, that niche is a strategic business decision to make uh, about who we're trying to reach, what we're going to do, how we do it uh, as a business. Uh, Mark Silver, one of my colleagues who comes from a Sufi perspective, he said his understanding was from the Sufi tradition was that the purpose of our life is to just keep opening our heart uh, wider and wider. Uh, and that, you know, that's the purpose, but that niching is just a, a strategy. Niching is a, I mean, it's connected to deeper things, but I think from what I see, people load so much onto their business, you know, that their business has to be uh, the sole expression of their life purpose. And it's like uh, relationships or marriages, this idea that your partner has to be everything to you, has to be your complete, utter fulfillment, uh, which usually doesn't work. People, I think, load too much onto relationships and people load too much onto uh, their businesses as well. So I, I, I suppose that's one of the first things to say is just what I think life purpose is not, mm. is it's not um, it's not our, our niche. It's not, um, you know, even this idea of the, the Simon Sinek speaks of the bigger why, you know, the bigger why from where I stand is are, these are the causes we support. These are the, the issues or the themes, but I don't know if that's the, the same as purpose. I feel like this is a question that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, though, I mean, as a, I'm 45. I uh, there's, and you know, and I, I think there's this other wondering of, is there a difference between our individual purpose and the purpose uh, as human beings that we have, and I, and I think that second question, in a lot of ways, feels primary to me. Feels like the the first question to come to is what does it mean to be a human being uh why are we here uh, on earth at all and then secondarily is is you know what's our our particular purpose yeah and i find myself wondering you know is there a relationship uh and i'm sure there must be between our purpose and the gifts that we that we we come to bring one of my friends is a a leader in the cree community indigenous community near uh well, he's in Edmonton, uh, where I come from, and he said um, his elders had told him when we're born, you know, you see babies when they come and they got their little fists all wrapped up tight, and he said he said it's like that because they're they're bringing something for us in the, yeah. in their hands, yeah. and so the one of the fundamental purposes of culture is to help uh, figure out what that is. I can't remember who said it, but it said that, you know, there's two 
two, the two most important days in your life, the day that you're born and the day that you figure out who was born. Yeah, that was Mark Twain, and I think. So, was that Mark Twain? So, well, that's a good I mean, He said a lot of good things. Yeah. And, um, yes. and then, you know, there's also this wondering of who gets to determine what our purpose is. You know, is that an inherent thing or is it, is purpose something that other people make a decision on later? You know, because there's intentions and intentions are great. But then there's there's consequence. And that's a different thing. That people might imagine their purpose to be something. But uh, if the consequence of one's life, you know, you, you, you could have an intention in a relationship to be helpful to somebody and be a profound pain in the ass to them and not be helpful at all. Mm. So I find myself wondering about that of, of um, yeah, how do those two things relate? So uh, I suppose that's my way of, of <laughs> trying to speak to this question is, is wondering what it isn't and wondering uh, about all the, all the things that surround it uh, first. So I, don't, I don't know if I have a direct answer. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there were many threads there that we could continue exploring. Um, but actually what comes to me is um, to look at it very personally. Do you have a sense of your own purpose? Do you have words to describe it? Or can you find words to describe it? Yeah, I... I can share something that just came to me in the last year and it, it feels very in response to what I see happening in the world mm -hmm. is there was this phrase that came to me or, or the sense of that the rest of my life is about doing what I can to preserve the indigenous in the world. Mm. You know, that if that's all that happens by the time I die is I've made some contribution to that, that I've kept some of that alive then uh, then I'll, I'll be very happy. Mm. Yeah. And how do you see the connection between that and what you're doing today? Well, not super strong right now, which is probably why I'm also in the next five years, I imagine, I... I uh, end up doing something else. I'll be shifting to more of this kind of cultural work. Yeah. I mean, I could I could probably shoehorn it in there somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, but it's there's not a real direct connection. Yeah, which is why you know over the last few years, um, most of my interest, most of my focus has been on on that, not on on uh, you know the marketing side. Uh, that's that's where my interest lies is in that. I suppose if there was some tenuous connection, there's the sense that so much of of uh, indigenous philosophy, and when I say indigenous, I mean European indigenous as well, uh, is is about relationship. There's so much about relationship and being in you know uh, a good relationship with with those around us, the human, the non-human. The, unseen and there's so much in marketing that is so corrosive to uh relationship there's that's fake that's 
pretentious, that's collapsed, that's uh, manipulative and coercive. And that seems very much like the antithesis of, of uh, an, an indigenous understanding of relationship. And I know I'm using that term indigenous so broadly, yeah. but, I th- but I think it, it does hold up. If you look at uh, cultures around the world, the, the importance of respect and courtesy and speaking well and beautifully, uh, the use of language as something to, to feed the world and to feed other people, as opposed to using language as a manipulative, coercive tool to get people to do something. Uh, it's a strange thing. Both of them seem to revere language, but in, in marketing, it's often a, a kind of a, you know, a, a dark magic, a sort of a, a sorcery, a spell casting. And in, in traditional cultures, it's more, uh, I think, in the line of storytelling and not and just understanding the consequence of one's words. That one slip, one errant word can have immense consequence you didn't intend. Uh, and I suppose that's true in marketing too, but it's in marketing, it's everything is, yeah, you don't want to slip, you don't want to, because if you do, then people won't buy. Mm-hmm. But I think in the indigenous understands more, if you let slip a word, the world may not live. You may diminish the world that feeds you and your people in some way you may harm those you love and care about in some way. And so the, 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 it's the world first and us second. And there's something about marketing often that puts us uh, in the center of everything. And I suppose in, my, in a very small way in marketing, uh, I'm trying to do something about that, to, to decenter ourselves, that we are not the center of everything. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to talk, have a little look at um, the connection between life purpose and niche. Because in the beginning, you said that people often confuse them as being the same, and they're really not. And at the same time, I do see a connection. Like for me, when you really know your purpose and you find a niche that um makes it possible for you to live that purpose in in all of your life like your work and your purpose are not separated in any way um some people like to use the terms your sur- your sac- your survival dance and your sacred dance become become one um so I do personally. I do see a connection. Like optimally, your your niche and and your purpose are very closely connected. And how how does that resonate with you? The yeah, I I, I, I would absolutely agree that they're connected. Uh, just maybe not that they're identical. I mean, the way I'm uh, part of the ch- challenge, of course, is we all define these words differently. Sure. You know, even how people define the word purpose or niche uh, is I, I've come to see in marketing, boy, how people define niche is, is real different. Or somebody asked me and said, well, yeah, what's the relationship between niching and branding or something like this? I said, man, we have to first have a conversation of how are we defining those words? 
because sometimes what somebody means by brand, another person means by niche. So for the sake of this, I define niche as the role that you're known for in the community. That's the way I see it. It's a, it's a function. It's something that you do. It's a place that you occupy. Mm. And, um, part of that is what do you do? Part of it is how you do it. Part of it's why you do it, where you do it, when you do it, for whom you do it. All of those things play a role in the niche. Uh, and I found in, uh, my industry in this marketing industry, it's, very much seen as well then no the niche is just who you try to reach niche equals target market equals ideal client that's all the same thing and uh, i just think there's more to it it's it's not that simple so if niche is one's role in the community um then you know i suppose to me i feel like niche fits inside of purpose because uh, one's purpose for being alive could probably be expressed in multiple ways, and one's business is one of them. But it's not the only way that one's purpose could be expressed, I imagine. Sure. Uh, and if and if the the purpose and niche can be in alignment, that's real helpful. <laughs> that's going to be mm-hmm. less emotional friction. That's going to be less. Um, yeah, you're going to be less drained. Mm-hmm. And because I remember talking with a friend of mine, I said how do you define health? And he said, or illness, what is illness and disease? He says, it's an inconsistency between the will of the soul and the will of the personality. And I just thought, yeah, all right, I could roll with that. You know, that some deep part of you wants one thing and the surface part of you wants another thing. And so to me, niche just feels a bit more surface in a way. It's a, it's a, it's not quite as uh, deep you know your purpose was probably born with you whereas the niche is something you discover and it's a, there's a certain degree of happenstance in it you know had you turned left instead of right that day when you went to the store to get bread your whole life might be different you might have a different career you might have a you know you just there's there's a certain amount of um uh chance in all of this of why we do the work that we do I can tell you this, when I was 12, I had no thought of having a marketing business. That wasn't in my, it wasn't anywhere. I wasn't thinking about that kind of thing at all. And yet here I am. And that probably has to do with the fact that I saw an ad in the paper for an Anthony Robbins workshop. Um, And I was, I don't know, 17, 16, 17. I got so excited and I went and then I started volunteering there. Because uh, I loved being a, a part of these workshops, it was a local franchise of Anthony Robbins. And then I said, "Do you, yeah, do you need any volunteers to sharpen pencils, stuff envelopes? I'm so in for it." And I did. And then they said, "Are you looking for work?" And I said, "I am." And they hired me to do sales, and I did sales, and it was great. And uh, I, you know, I really loved it. And then I ended up doing all these pushy, aggressive, gross things that I just thought I had to do. And I just thought the reason it feels bad is because I'm not good enough at it yet. And uh, it's some deficiency in me. And then that whole franchise collapsed uh, at a certain point. And then I went to work with, yes, and years later, you know, I I still had this interest in marketing because it wasn't all bad. Uh, Some of it was amazing and it was very helpful to friends when I would talk with them about their businesses. And here I am, you know, as a result of seeing this one ad in a paper, 
now I have a marketing business, you know, I, I, uh, my friend said, you have your own indigenous roots. Or two of my friends say this. And that leads to me spending five minutes on Google to see if I can find some audio cassettes on how to learn Gaelic. In that search, I find that there's a Celtic studies program in Nova Scotia. And then all of that leads, you know, is very connected to me wanting to move into more of this cultural work and this love of old folklore and stories. And so all that to say, I, I do think our niche is, is um, it's, there's just a certain amount of, of uh, it, fortune involved and ran, there's a certain randomness in it mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or that it's, if it's not random, it's not exactly in our control that these things happen. And so, and then, and then, you know, you may play one role at one part of your life and another role at another part. Yeah. So yeah. for me, I, you know, I did youth leadership workshops and summer camps, and then there's this marketing thing. And then next there may be this cultural work and maybe there'll be something after that. I don't know. So people play different roles and at different ages and stages of their life, different roles are appropriate. Um, I couldn't have done the cultural work when I was 18 in the same way. Uh, and, and as I get older, I'll probably get more uh, heft in that and, and more capacity to do it than I have now, uh, which is why I'm not doing it now. Whereas maybe there's, there's some purpose that ties it all together that I still can't see. And, and I, I think probably for a lot of us, purpose is something you see in retrospect. Mm that's when it becomes clear you look back and you say, oh my God, if you ever do look back and if you ever do reflect, and and I think this is probably partly why, you know, the work you do is so useful for people is because most people, uh, if they reflect back on their lives, I mean the past, but also reflecting on the present, it's, you don't, sometimes you don't even know what you're looking at. You know, it's like if you go for a walk in the river valley with somebody who knows plants and herbs, they're seeing something different than you're seeing. You just look and you just see green stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Occasional red things. And, and that's about it. Whereas they're looking and they're seeing medicine. And so, you know, for somebody, I, I imagine you have this with clients all the time where clients come to you and they just, what they bring is, they just think it's the mess that has been their life of completely random things. They don't see any threads. They don't see any medicine in it, and but you can look at it from the outside, which is always helpful. <laughs> somebody from the outside, I just uh, and you can probably see things. You know, this is something I, I tell people all the time. Oh, I'm really struggling with my marketing. They say, and I say, yeah. I say, do you want to know why? They say, yeah. I say because it's you. <laughs> you think you can see yourself clearly? That's hilarious. That's funny that you think you have a, a, the capacity to read your situation accurately. Uh, we're just, our, our blind spots towards ourselves are almost entire. And it really does, you know, there's the old Irish proverb, that says, uh, which means a friend's eye is a good looking glass. You know, that it, and a friend, this is very important. <laughs> An enemy's eye is not a good looking glass. But somebody who, who loves you and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, some good person, they can, they can see things. And this happens with me. People come and they're struggling with their niche. And one of the questions I ask them often is, is I just say, well, what got you into this work? 
Uh, and because a colleague of mine, Jeffrey Van Dyke, he said this. I remember we were driving in San Francisco, and he said this, and I said, "Say that again. <laughs> Keep talking," because I could. It was doing something to me hearing it. I didn't even, you know. Sometimes you hear something, and you intellectually it makes no sense to you, but viscerally it's true, mm-hmm. and you just like I that. We have to keep digging there. And what he said was, he said, your deepest wounds are often a doorway to your truest niche. Mm. The places you've struggled the most in your life often give a kind of direction of, you know, that we become the adults whose support we needed when we were younger. Uh, we just often end up en- ending up there uh, as, as that person. And so I'll ask people, what got you into this? And so one story of this was uh, there was a, a woman who, um, and sometimes it's us, sometimes it's also our loved ones, things they struggle with, but she had a, one of these cryotherapy things where you, you go stand in a, a chamber that goes down to like minus 300 Celsius for uh, like 30 seconds. So it's extremely cold. Uh, and this has all sorts of benefits. And I, but I asked her friend, I said, so can I just like, why would you start a cryotherapy clinic? I said, just no offense, but that's a weird business. <laughs> Nobody just wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to start freezing people at dangerous temperatures. This is, uh, I, and she said, well, it was, it was my brother. He had a rheumatoid arthritis and nothing was working. And he tried therapy. He tried the, the, um, the drugs, the kind of chemo that they give. He tried the the um, fasting, and uh, fasting worked. But once he started eating food again, <laughs> it hurt. And and uh, it was terrible. And he'd been an athlete, extremely active, and all of a sudden he couldn't anymore. And he just was so heartbreaking. And then he went to L.A. She lived somewhere like I don't know Minneapolis or something. But she, he went to L.A. She visited him three or so months later, and he was fine. And she said, oh, my God, what happened? And he said, this cryotherapy, it completely changed things. And so this is why, you know, she, somebody she really cared about was so helped. And so, okay, we're going to help other people with this. Or you hear all the stories, I struggled with depression. I came out the other side, and now I help people who are struggling with depression. I was an alcoholic, and now I help people who struggle with it. It's a very old story and that the the direction when people are looking for a direction of their business, if they're in the healing arts, they're a therapist, um, you know, life coach somewhere in that arena. This is often the magic bullet. This is often the thing that um, unlocks everything. But they, the, the reason I bring all this up is they can't see it themselves. And it's amazing until I asked them, it was right there the whole time staring them in the face but that was the problem it was staring them in the face it was too they couldn't see the forest for the trees and so I, i'll come along and say well let's take a few steps back and just soften your gaze a bit and and tell me what you see and then um and, and then i can tell them what i see from what they see and often they're they're staggered oh my god how did i not see that before how could i Wow, that's so obvious now looking back. Um, but it's not always obvious going through it. And But some people, of course, get to the end of their life and it's they've never seen a pattern and they die having never seen a pattern. And, and I think this is one of the roles of, um, of elders in a culture 
is they're seeing the pattern unfold. And they would notice, they would say, oh, this, hey, you notice that one? Whenever we tell stories, they're so into it. Or, and whenever we tell stories about hunters, this one's into it. And you notice how much this one loves to make things. So they would, they would know you before you knew you. And they would just, you would kind of naturally be funneled into following these interests and supported in it. And, you know, you might be renamed at a certain point uh, in different initiatory stages or ceremonies. And the name would not be, here's a name to live up to, but it would be a name that says, this is you. This is the way you move in the world. Mm. And that when you hear it, if it's done well, you would just say, oh my God, that's so true. I've never thought about that before. And, you know, I, I would imagine that naming is not disconnected from purpose. There's a friend of mine uh, in Edmonton is a Cree fellow, and he, he got a name that meant basically from the blue sky. And they said, we give you this name because you're like, um, you see things from such a height. Mm. You, have, you have this vision. You can see the big picture. You can see the vast expanse. And so they gave him that name as an affirmation of who he was. And of course, we live in a, uh, well, we don't live in a culture. I think that's the problem. We live in a civilization where, um, as Michael Mead said, we don't have elders giving out medicine. We have olders on drugs. You know, we don't have that elder function being played hardly at all for most people. Uh, and so it seems like, you know, the work that you do, uh, the work of a, a lot of healers is, and life coaches is in some way trying to compensate for, or is an echo, is a shard of the shattered vessel of, of elderhood and medicine people, um, trying to play this role of helping people see themselves more clearly. Because, I mean, it just, people can't. It's just too hard. It's too hard to see ourselves. I, I don't know why it's like that, but it's like that. Most of my, most of my clients can't and it takes somebody from the outside to point it out hmm. yeah um yeah i get curious about your future <laughs> or how you relate to the process of your future unfolding because you it seems like it's it's obvious that there's a call to to shift the the focus of your work eventually you said in 5 years maybe you're doing something different and it's and correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like it's it's quite unclear like what the details of that will look like and um how do you relate to this process like you 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 feel a, a call to something and you know the direction but you don't know the details of it so how do you relate to to this uncertainty and this clarity being there at the same time and and following that and and seeing where it leads boy it's it's so strange the direction feels so clear yeah yeah, yeah i don't know where I'm going to end up, but it's one of those, um, I, I just can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. I can't. And, and um, I don't, I don't feel it. I've got thoughts, of course, on the structure. I, you know, I imagine it will be in some way connected with um, 
spending a lot of time delving into folklore and sharing that folklore and trying to help this modern society that we're in become lucid and apparent and visible through the medium of these old stories. Mm. Um, so I imagine I, so I can see some of the structure of that, of, of, you know, having people read stories in advance, coming together, telling the stories and then wondering about them together. I see a lot of, you know, handwork, work with tools, which I, you know, I honestly, that's not been my life up till now. So there's a lot for me to learn there. Mm. Um, and probably people to partner with who do know more about that. Mm. Uh, but I could see, uh, so I can see some, some beginning shapes of it. And I also have some sense of who I'd like to do that work with mm -hmm. uh, some of my dear friends in Alberta. And that feels like more than enough because with every passing year, there is some peace falls into place. And I mean, I don't know. Um, I have no idea how the universe works, but I can, I, I can feel the way that um, pieces are being handed to me. Mm in a certain order, you know, I'll have a conversation about something with somebody and then I open a book and there's a piece on that thing I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, most of us have had this experience now. You're, you're, you have a conversation with a friend and you mention Ikea in the conversation and then you go to your phone, you open up Facebook and there's an ad for Ikea. And why is that ad there? Because you were just talking about Ikea and your phone was listening to you. That's why. Um, you know, a lot of us have had that experience. And so it's like that, but it's better because it's from the universe. <laughs> <laughs> the The universe was listening and then saying, go, no, go read this book. Um, so I'm, I'm just trusting that. I, I, I feel like this has been a big shift in my life. You know, a decade ago, I don't think I had any real trust in the universe at all. And, and these days I, I feel an immense trust. Uh, and just a desire to follow the signs and pay attention and listen as I go and trust that the, the next piece will be given to me. Mm. Um, even in my mistakes, even in my blunders, those will be um, in some way the key to the next thing. Mm. So then there's nothing to be scared of. Not that I enjoy making mistakes myself, but um, but I don't know if I feel less fear about it all. I don't feel this anxiety of oh my god what will i do with the rest of my life uh what will it look like oh god i don't know the exact shape of it uh yeah you know, i might as well just quit or uh, um hi sorry for interrupting i would just like to take a brief moment to share a bit about what i do as a purpose guide so are you a person who has devoted a significant part of your life to deep spiritual practice and who now wants to make a difference in the world but who doesn't really know where to start? Do you have a sense that something is calling to you, but you can't grasp exactly what it is? It seems like it could be several different things, and it's difficult to choose. What you would like is to get to a place where you feel fully aligned with your calling, a place where you are 100% engaged in contributing towards a better world in a way that feels deeply meaningful to you. So my solution to this dilemma would be to help you find your purpose. Because when you have that clarity about why you're here, why you're alive in this time and place, it's so much easier to choose. 
And when it's easier to choose, it's easier to get engaged in what you're doing without constant doubts about whether what you're doing is the right thing. So how do we do that? How do I help you get clear about your purpose? It's a process that is very much about connecting you to your soul, because your soul, the deepest part of yourself, is the part that knows your purpose. So the whole program, the Purpose Discovery Program, is very much centered around helping you get closer to your soul and to get information from your soul about your purpose and the different aspects of your purpose. We divide purpose into eight different facets, vision, powers, values, essence, giveaway, task, message and delivery system. And through different kinds of practices, you will gradually more and more clarify each of these throughout the process. Towards the end of the process, you're likely to have a very good soul-level understanding about why you're here. If this sounds interesting for you, you can book a free introductory session. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little bit of your time. We'll have a chat and we'll see if the program is the right fit for you and if you and I are a good fit to work on this together. So if you feel called, I really want to encourage you to go to my website and find the contact page and book a free session. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm interested in what helps you, or if you can see, because many people find themselves in a place where they are called in a certain direction, but they don't know the details of the journey. And it's very scary, and it's really difficult to relax into it and and trust, and just, you know, Trust that each piece of information that needs to be known will be given when it is needed. <laughs> and like, do you have any sense of? Because you said it wasn't always like this for you. You were you were not able to trust before. So, do you have any sense of what, why you can trust I now can in trust contrast now. to before? I don't. I wish I did. I mean, I I could say some of the story of what happened, but I I uh, was almost killed by a, a accidental drug overdose, just too much of the wrong drug, mm-hmm. accidentally, and I was in the hospital for ten days, and it really almost killed me. That I, I didn't think I was, I was not convinced I was going to get out of there. I was very scared that I would never leave that hospital, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the things that hit me as I was lying there uh, and I say hit because I felt viscerally struck by it, this feeling of God, there, there's nothing after this. It's just oblivion. It's just the end. Mm. It's just uh, darkness, but it's not even darkness because I'm not there to register the darkness. It's just, it was such a overwhelming fear. And I thought, boy, this whole worldview I've had of a kind of atheist, rational, skeptic, um, that didn't help me in this moment. 
and and I, I and I could just feel how what a rookie I was, how utterly unprepared I was for that moment of death. And I thought I don't want to be at my deathbed like this again. Mm. And I don't know what happens after we die, if anything happens. I, uh, but certainly, there's been so much testimony from people. I mean, just the other day, I had a conversation with a friend who she fell from a ledge, fell like 40 feet onto stone, and uh, her spine was broken in many places. But she had that full experience of outside her body, being given the choice to come back, being told it would hurt a lot, you know, and made the choice to, to come back. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, is one of the the deepest mysteries of humanity, which I I won't comment on much. But I I suppose that experience opened me mm. to what if there is more? What if it's not just that? And then the more I you know look at my own ancestry and um the the understandings of indigenous culture, it's it's very clear that that at least there's there's a, an unseen part to this universe. We could say. And that can be understood in a lot of different ways. Um, it could be when we say the unseen. I mean, this could be the the bacteria and the fungus and viruses of the world that uh, so beautifully turn our bodies back into soil. Maybe that's what reincarnation is. Um, and maybe there's other levels and spheres. I, I don't know. It probably most of your listeners will have more opinions about this than, than I do. Um, <laughs> But I I just became open to that. And then something in the last year, I just began to trust the signs mm. and, and, and just be open to, and maybe it was part of this, the same thing, seeing the um, this herbalism thing be banned and this traditional wisdom being banned and I, I just feeling the, the preciousness of this indigenous worldview which in many cases there is this kind of uh, reading of the science. And that's certainly true for in the Celtic world. I mean, all these things called superstitions, but if you see this, it might mean this, you know, uh, in different contexts, that the, the world's always communicating with us, that the world is alive, everything's alive, and there may be certain kinds of life that we can't see. And that it's always, there's an, there's an ongoing communication and that, um, and I suppose with the Orphan Wisdom School, there's been a lot of conversation about ancestry and our own ancestors. And not that Stephen talks about this this type of thing directly uh, so much, but that that maybe that we're getting some help mm-hmm. uh, from from the other side. Um, and so I've just found myself open to it, and found it confirmed that when I would trust a certain impulse. You know, of oh, this feels really good at a deep, deep level. It feels right to do something. That suddenly it's confirmed mm. by a number of things lining up. Mm. Um, you know, I, so I, I just moved to Victoria. I moved out of my place. I'd been there 11 years, and all of a sudden I knew it was done. It was over. It was time to go. I couldn't see myself anymore living there, uh, like during the fall and, and winter. Which is strange because for 11 years, I couldn't see myself living anywhere else. I imagine, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. You, you have as a marriage, it's a job and you couldn't imagine doing anything else. And then one day it's empty for you. There's nothing there. Mm. And the thought of being there in five years uh, has you feel horrified. 
um, it's a nightmare where it used to be the thing you dreamed about. And th that happened for me. And so then I came to Victoria and I was here five days and it landed this amazing apartment. And it was just through a friend, you know, and I, I, I looked around in the official channels and there was not much there. And then a friend said, hey, you know, and just through this kind of coincidence and synchronicity, I got this place that I, I, I literally, it's hard for me to imagine a better location and a better kind of place in Victoria. And people have said, Tad, um, this doesn't happen in Victoria. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been looking for a place in, in that Cook Street Village for years. And you just found one. Um, and so I, I've just seen it confirmed that often when we follow those signs and our own intuitions, there's a, a kind of support that appears. You know, and it's interesting. You know that quote, I think by this fellow Murray, the one that, you know, until one is committed, that one? I'm not sure. It's, um, it was attributed to Goethe. Uh, a lot of people thought he said it, but then it turned out uh, it, it wasn't him. Um, and I'll just see if I can actually just quickly find and pull the the um, till one is committed. Here we go. Yeah, by William Hutchinson Murray, and it, it goes like this: It says, uh, "Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth." the ignorance of which kills, kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. Mm. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never have otherwise occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do, or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. Mm. And one thing I would lift up for consideration in this is that the, the, the word commit, we tend to hold it in this culture as a kind of white-knuckling, a grasping, a tenacity, a ferocious, I will not give up. Um a kind of enduring something. Mm. Whereas if you look at the Latin roots of it, the word commit, it literally is the Latin verb to begin. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to, I'll read this one more time, but I'm going to change the word commit to just begin mm. until one begins. There is hesitancy, the chance to draw back always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless splendid ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely begins, then providence moves to. Hmm. Yeah. It's the, it's the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's not that until one is committed, until one is, is a sort of invincible in a Spartan fashion as some sort of warrior. It's no, it's just you start. Mm. And as you start, it seems, um, I, I don't know, can't verify, haven't seen the other side for myself, but I've heard testimony, and I'd give my own testimony that when we begin, other things begin to appear that you actually couldn't have imagined being there before, and that you would never have seen had you not begun.
So it's time to wrap up here, but um, I'll just give you a, a little bit of space here to share whatever you would like to share about your work and how people can connect to you and yeah, whatever you would like our listeners to know about your work. Sure. Well, most of it, if you go to marketingforhippies.com, uh, you can find uh, pretty much everything there. Mm. Good. Well, okay. So thank you so much, Tad, for taking this time to be on the Life Purpose podcast. Oh, pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like this conversation, you may be interested to know that there is a longer version of this episode in the members area of my website. In that version, we go into a much deeper exploration around the topic of indigenousity, and we also have a look at the story of how this topic came to be so important for Tad. If you'd like to listen to that version, you can go to paulisar.com and sign up for the members area. It doesn't cost you anything at all to become a member, it's completely free. In the members area, you'll find a version of this episode that's about an hour longer than this version. You'll also find many kinds of purpose resources there, such as a purpose discovery meditation. If you're interested in the free webinar that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you're warmly invited to go to my website and sign up for it. You can find it at paulisari.com webinar, or simply go to paulisari.com and find the webinar page in the menu. I really recommend signing up soon if you want to make sure to get a spot, since there are only a limited amount of spots available. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.